Jewish Iranian clients in my private practice as a therapist. And so I'm, you know, hearing constantly a lot of the shaming messages of like, are you sure you don't want to be a lawyer? Are you sure you want to be an artist? Just go get it anyway. Or no one's going to want to marry you if you don't have a, you know, second degree or a master's in something. You have to add this to your resume so that someone is going to want to be with you. Clarissa Marks, and you are listening to On Wandering, a monthly podcast that explores the nuance and complexities of Jewish identity. Forty years ago, thousands of Jews fled Iran after the Islamic Revolution, settling primarily in Los Angeles. Nicole Napavar is a member of that Persian Jewish community. She's a psychotherapist and the co-founder of Chaya, a community of intimate gatherings for Jewish Iranians. In our conversation, we talked about the social expectations and stigmas in the Persian Jewish community in L.A. Some of what Nicole mentioned felt relatable to my own experience in the Northeastern American Ashkenazi community, but there was also a lot that felt different. But first, before we begin, I have a quick request. If you enjoy On Wandering and you like what we do, please leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or on whatever listening app you use. That's really the best way for other people to find us. Here's a review from Aviva Lyell. She writes, Yasher Koach, which I learned recently means something like, right on. Love this. Need more diverse voices expressing their experiences. Thank you. Thank you, Aviva. Loved reading this review. And there's a link to Apple Podcast Reviews in the show notes. And if you write something for us, I might just read it on the next episode. And now, please enjoy this conversation with Nicole Napavar. My name is Nicole, and I grew up in the Jewish-Iranian community of Los Angeles. It's a collectivistic community and so what I mean by that is that we sort of as a community value the collective over the individual and so what that can look like is if you're at Shabbat dinner and your whole family's there and there's like 40 of you because there's so many of us (laughs) and you know you're ready to head out and you're kind of you've had your dinner you've had your dessert you've done the blessings and all of that you've chatted with your family and you're ready to go home and you let people know okay I'm leaving thank you so much for having me if you know your grandma turns around or your mom turns around they're like where are you going you can't leave and it's like okay I guess I'm not leaving you know because the collective wants me to stay so that's just kind of a small example but that can also show up in bigger ways in our community our community has a lot of rules and formulas and sort of guidelines for how to live a quote-unquote successful happy life and this sort of mentality has been around for thousands of years you know we were in Iran as Jews for 2700 years and then all of a sudden we come to America in the last 30 40 years and it's not like those rules just go away And so they are kind of being passed down to us with the best of intentions, but it can be, the flip side is that it can feel like it's not a one size fits all mentality. There are rules around your career. There are rules around 
your your love life. There are rules around your sexual orientation. There are rules around what the roles are supposed to be in a household and things like that. So, you know, there's rules around what types of industries to pursue and what types of industries to not pursue, what to look for in friendship, a lot of, of rules around reputation and a lot of what keeps us in check, I would say, is shame-based thinking and fear-based thinking. So as much as our culture, I want to just say, is beautiful, we have lots of amazing traditions and amazing food. And if someone is in a collectivistic culture going through something difficult, the beautiful thing is that everybody shows up and everyone steps in. And so whether you just gave birth or you're going through a hard time or whatever, people are going to show up at your door with food without you asking for it. People are going to show up to help you take care of different members of the family. So it's very special. But the flip side is that we don't have so much of a sense of independence or individuality, and there's just a lot of pressure to conform. So this is kind of the inner conflict that we're dealing with, especially living in America, where it's a very individualistic society. It's a very individualistic culture. So the individual is valued over the collective, which gives people a lot of freedom to be able to explore who it is that they truly are, what it is that they truly want. But the flip side of that is also that maybe sometimes you feel isolated or alone or you feel like you don't have the support or the background that you need. So we're kind of very much between these two mutually exclusive ways of dealing with life and with culture and with relationships. And I, I think it's beautiful because we get to pick the best of both worlds. But if you're not aware that this is happening or that you, if you're kind of living on autopilot, it's hard to be able to distinguish what it is that you really want and what it is that's really best for you. So... Mm-hmm. So part of our role at Chaya and part of, you know, creating this organization, Chaya Community, is that myself and a few of other just like amazing women got together and we were thinking there there are so many people in this community who are doing their own thing and anyway, and but they identify as outsiders. So how can we kind of get rid of the shame and begin to have more compassion and acceptance and celebration for the differences within our community and still have meaningful connection and still find a way to be ourselves. Yeah. Wow. So two things came up for me. When you talk about living in a collective community, I think that's something that a lot of Americans and maybe even a lot of Jews who live in more remote communities have not experienced. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me a little more, what does that look like? You know, is is everyone you know growing up Iranian Jewish? You know, <laughs> do you go to Iranian Jewish schools? Like how much were oh, you interacting with yeah. folks who weren't in the Iranian Jewish community? Yeah, I think every family is different sort of growing up, to be honest. my Most of my parents' friends were Persian Jewish, but we went to Jewish school or public school or private school. Obviously, as kids, we're being exposed to all kinds of cultures and backgrounds, and it's amazing. But there is a tendency, and I'm seeing it even right now as I speak to for certain schools in LA, certain preschools, certain elementary schools, I go and consult with them about how to have a culture that in the school where everyone kind of can get along because what does tend to happen as kids get a little bit older is that 
they tend to stick with their own culture. So around ages three, four, five, everyone's playing with each other. And then around ages six, seven, eight, you start to see all the Persian kids hanging out with each other, all the Ashkenazi kids hanging out with each other. And there's such a split. And even now as adults, one of the things that we've talked about at Chaya as well is like, how do we bridge the gap between so many different cultures and all the things that we can learn from one another instead of feeling so isolated or clicky when it comes to interacting? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that brings up for me the second question I was thinking of. One of the questions I ask all my guests is, when did you realize you were a minority? Mm. Yeah, wow. Um, I love that question. I think, I think I realized it when I was in high school because <laughs> a lot of my friends were Persian Jewish and there were a few that we would see in high school that weren't kind of just sticking with the Persian Jewish culture and they were branching out and they were making friends with all kinds of people and the term for that was oh they're whitewashed and Mm. when someone had said that to me like oh those those girls or those guys they're whitewashed like we don't get along with them and so that's when I was and that's kind of when I started to feel like oh like we're actually like this is a thing and this exists. Also, I think there were a lot of messages around like the girl with blonde hair and blue eyes was going to be chosen by the guys in school over the girl with sort of frizzy, curly, dark hair and like, you know, not allowed to wear makeup, not allowed to like do all of those things because our culture is very much still telling us like a lot of rules. Exactly. Like I said earlier. So that's I think that's when I actually maybe that was late but that's when I started to really notice it I don't know if that answers your question yeah so I know you've talked about a major turning point in your life when you decided to move away from the LA Iranian Jewish community and move to New York can you tell me about what was behind that decision to move yeah, thank you for asking. I was born and raised in LA in this Jewish Iranian community. All my friends, all my parents' friends were Jewish Iranian, so that's who I was hanging out with after school. That's who I was hanging out with on the weekends, and that's who I was hanging out with when I was in school as well. And as I got older, I went to USC for undergrad. I was living with another Jewish Iranian person. She was my roommate and my very good friend. And she had lived in, she's born and raised in England, lived in Israel, lived in all these different parts of the world. And she was like, how have you never left LA? Like, how are you still here? And there's so much more to be seen and there's so much more to explore. You have to move away for grad school. And it was really inspiring for me. And it was, it was also at a point where I was starting to notice some things about our culture For example, I think there can be a lot of shame and a lot of fear. And so sometimes that means there's a lot of passive aggressive behavior or angry behavior. And people aren't, don't feel the freedom to be able to say what it is they truly want because they've been told not to. So the behavior that they're truly authentically feeling leaks out in really unproductive, healthy ways. And I was at the effect of that. And so I was starting to look at my community more critically and thinking, I do want to see what else is out there. So I 
started applying to schools all over the country very secret secretly did not tell my dad because I know he was in a state of mind that was like you're not leaving I ended up getting into you know one by one all of the schools that I wanted to get into I was getting into and I was waiting for the final one which was Columbia University in New York which was my dream school and it was really one of the top five schools for what I wanted to do which was getting a master's in social work I'm also a psychotherapist so I got the letter of acceptance and I was jumping up and down in my apartment so excited and I call my friends, I call my mom, I call you know everyone and everyone's jumping up and down for joy with me and then I call my dad and I was like dad you won't believe it I got into Columbia University I'm like freaking out and he was just like called me when you get into UCLA and he hangs up the phone <laughs> and I was just like okay, like, I'm going to do this anyway, I'm going to find a way, whether he kind of gives me his blessing or not, but it was just more sort of of a reason to be like, yeah, I need to step out of, that is the expectation, like, you go to this school, then you go to UCLA, and then you get this kind of job, and I was like, I want to do something different. He came around, and he gave me his blessing anyway, which was very sweet, but I moved to New York, and I was exposed to so many different backgrounds and cultures and socioeconomic status and obviously like New York is such a melting pot of different cultures and backgrounds every day just walking on the street and it was so just it was such a shift for me and it was gave me just so much permission to be who I actually want to be and be in touch with who it is that I truly want to be. Not to say that everybody has to move across the country or away from LA to experience that, but for me, that's how it happened. And while I was there, I took a class in community organizing and had to come up as one of the projects with my own sort of mission and values for what it is that I wanted to create if I was to create my own you know, organization. And it was getting close to around the time that I was thinking about moving back to L.A. because I knew long term I wanted to be there. And but I was really nervous and I was really scared of moving back because there was an element of me sort of running away when I moved to New York and rebelling and all of that. And I hadn't I, I just was so terrified to move back home. And through this class, I was kind of like, oh, very selfishly, like I'm going to create an organization that makes me feel at home and lets me still be me. And I'm sure that there are other people who feel this and this is going to be a space for everyone to come and, you know, kind of talk about what the stigmatized topics are, what are the taboo topics, how can we grow together, how can we have more meaningful connection together, and highlight what are all the badass things that people in our community are truly doing. So I came up with the concept and I moved back home and co-founded it with two other girls who are actually very much now my very close friends and who also had sort of the same vision in their own ways and we created Chaya. I think it's interesting how the challenges that you experienced in the Persian community were what you were kind of escaping from when you left for New York. But then by going to New York and being out of that environment for a period of time, it allowed you to kind of think about what would be a solution for this? What would a community that felt right 
look like to me. Yeah, and it also made me realize all the things that I was taking for granted in my community and that I missed about my community. I mean, my group of friends was in, while I was there, was one girl from Tennessee, one girl from Northern California, one like Armenian girl, one Lebanese girl. Like there were just, I was like the token Persian girl in our group of friends. Persian Jewish girl and so I was kind of sharing with them my culture and the foods that I make and having them over and then um, talking about some of the things that they were just like how is this your life when I was talking about home and we were going out on Friday night and after I would do Shabbat dinner with like my roommates and I would miss my family like at Shabbat dinner so much every Friday night I, I dreaded honestly being there even though it was different and it was a beautiful experience but I was just so homesick and I was like wow this is so special that we do this every week at home and I think just going out with my friends after Shabbat also so fun but I missed that sort of home time and being with my family and being with my loved ones so it brought a lot of perspective into like wow there are so many things about my culture that I actually also really value and I don't want to let go of. I don't want to stop enjoying. Yeah, absolutely. I want to dig a little deeper into some of the challenges that you've talked about that make it so hard to celebrate and feel at home in that community that you love. You've talked about how there are issues of shame and fear and stigma that are very prevalent in the community. And I'm wondering if you could give me a few examples of what those look like on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I can start with career. I think for men, there are three careers that they're supposed to kind of fall into or should fall into according to the community. Number one is either you're a doctor or you're a lawyer or you're a businessman. And the undertone of that is also you are going to be the primary provider, you are going to be the primary breadwinner. So there's a lot of pressure around making money and making a lot of money. And so it's it's very stressful for them, for a man who doesn't want to pursue any of those realms of work and doesn't necessarily feel like he wants to be the primary breadwinner or doesn't want to make x amount of money every year it's really it's so much pressure it's so hard and what does that look like is it does it come directly from like his parents or other people in the community community i think it can come from your family it can come from your cousins who pretty much become your siblings i think there from the community aspect there's like an element of status in our community and and a lot of reputation management and a lot of fear around being ostracized or abandoning the community or being abandoned by the community so people kind of give in to these pressures from that mindset there's a lot of stuff for men around you're not good enough not that I believe any of this but that you're not good enough to get married until you're older and by older I mean like not in your 20s and that you have to be making a certain amount of money otherwise you're not good enough yet 
And so there's so much trauma that comes with that. There's so much trauma that comes around not feeling worthy of love, not feeling enough in your relationships, feeling like your partner is marrying you for your money. It's it's horrible. I mean, it breaks my heart. It's such a sad experience and feeling to have that I think a lot of men in our community struggle with. And it's interesting because for women, I think this is changing and more and more so, but initially there was not a lot of pressure for women to pursue a career. There are families that are like, we don't want the girls in our family to be educated because that's a threat. And to them sort of being empowered and like one day doing their own thing if this marriage isn't working for them anymore. And now more so there's also this actual it's a different it's like it kind of did a full like the pendulum has swung and now it's like no women need to work and ideally it does fall again in one of those like career paths or something not so threatening to the man because the man needs to be sort of this like alpha male so there's more like careers that don't make as much money or that are good for her in her role as a mother so becoming like a preschool teacher or becoming someone who's in education this stuff is going to be a good transferable skill into when they become mothers so that's sort of the trajectory I think as women are getting I think as women have more choice and they're becoming more educated about what it is that they want in a partner women are getting married later a lot a lot of pressure for women is to get married in their early 20s And so now that that's not happening and women are getting married later and later, they're sort of given more space. And sometimes women look at it as like more pressure to come up with a career until they get married or it comes from a very inspiring place of, no, I want to love my life, whether I'm with a man or not. And so I'm going to do what I want to do or with any partner or not, I'm going to do what I want to do. And so that's kind of what they're managing is like the 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 pressure to get married, the pressure to have children, the pressure to fall into a career that doesn't intimidate or threaten the man. What are the three acceptable careers for men? And then what are the acceptable careers for women? I don't know if there's like three acceptable careers for women, but I do think that like things that aren't going to threaten the man's identity around like him being the one who earns or him being the one who makes money like you'll see a lot of women going into like teaching or becoming you know so becoming a teacher or becoming a nutritionist or becoming a psychotherapist like all of this stuff kind of fits into she'll make like this will go into her being a good mother and being a good wife nurturing roles that are also happen to be less paid than yes I don't know engineer or something like that stem related jobs yeah yeah have you can you think of any experience and not sharing names but if someone you know who who really struggled with this and kind of what that looked like for them yeah I think there are male and female, there are a lot of creatives in our community. There are a lot of artists. There are a lot of singers. There are a lot of performers. And there are a lot of people who are motivational speakers and sex therapists. So even like addressing sexuality is like such a big thing. So there are so many, I mean, in the just in the creative realm, there are so many badass, cool, inspiring people in our community who are doing such cool stuff. And we realize that they don't feel like they belong to this community. So we actually have been doing an annual 
sort of larger event at Chaya. So Chaya is made up of usually intimate gatherings where we have these conversations in person. We also have the Chaya podcast where we're speaking to sort of leaders in the community and experts on different stigmatized topics as well. We do a larger event once a year called the, it's our summer soiree. We invite about 100 people to come and we highlight different performers in the Jewish Iranian community, singers, musicians, theatrical performances, things like that. And to let them know like you're celebrated and you are loved and you are welcome and you belong in this community. This is not a community to run away from. And it's it's one of my favorite kinds of events because you can see how a lot of them share their stories of, I didn't think I belong here. I didn't think that because this is a career that doesn't necessarily make a lot of money unless you're like, you know, up there getting a Grammy or something like that, it's a, it's tough. It requires travel and it requires being on stage and it requires being seen. And so those are all things that our community doesn't necessarily value or support. So we wanted to create an event around that and that's what we did. And it's been really healing, I think, for not just the performers, but I think for the attendees as well, because now they're also starting to step into their creative power as well. They're feeling inspired to maybe write a book or start um, their own visual arts, you know, a portfolio or Instagram or things like that. So it's been it's been really, really cool to watch and to be a part of. Yeah, it sounds like so much of of what you're experiencing within the community it's not so much a public show of like well we all agreed this person doesn't fit our requirements so we were we're not talking to them anymore it sounds like it's almost more of an internalized oppression where you get enough of the messages about what you're supposed to do what you're supposed to look like that individuals are holding themselves back exactly trying new things yeah it's not just that we're holding ourselves back we do get pushback from I think a lot of us from our families, I have a lot of Jewish Iranian clients in my private practice as a therapist. And so I'm, you know, hearing constantly a lot of the shaming messages of like, are you sure you don't want to be a lawyer? Are you sure you want to be an artist? Just go get it anyway. Or no one's going to want to marry you if you don't have a, you know, second degree or a master's in something. You have to add this to your resume so that someone is going to want to be with you. So Mm. there's messages like this or... You know, why didn't, and even if you try to set boundaries with families, you know, where this is the dynamic, it's, there's a lot of pushback of like, why don't you ever call me anymore? Or you're getting so involved in this person or this group of friends, like you don't care about me or you're ignoring me or whatever. So there's a lot of pressure to like be very involved in the day-to-day of your family's life and to get this, this messaging. And not to say that this is every family, it looks different in every family and some families have it more than others but it is there and it is something that I think really can act as a barrier or slow one's progress into sort of evolving and stepping into who it is they really want to be. Are those messages coming primarily from parents or also like cousins, grandparents? I think it comes from from all of the above. Okay. Yeah. Some of those sounded so familiar. (laughs) (laughs) A moment of like, oh yeah, that's I've heard about that in other communities yeah. and sometimes in my community. Something yeah. that is not exclusive to the Jewish Iranian community. I think mm-hmm. any background where there's sort of this collectivistic value, 
you will see this. I think it's very common in many sort of Middle Eastern cultures, Asian cultures, South American culture. Like this is not exclusive to us. You don't see as this as much in maybe some of the like Western European cultures or in America, but it's it is something that exists in many parts of the world that a lot of people can relate to. Mm-hmm. With Chaya, one of your main flagship programs has been creating a space to have conversations where you talk about what you call taboo subjects or stigmatized subjects. For example, in your podcast, you've talked about sexual health, you've talked about bullying, the idea of a power couple, what does that mean? Fertility. Yeah. So what has been one of your favorite conversations to have either at your podcast or at some of the intimate gatherings that you have facilitated with Chaya? Yeah, good question. I think one of my favorites has been actually on the topic of sex and intimacy. And there's just so much there. There's so much there. I think that is the one area where there are the most rules and the least conversation whether it's talking about roles in the bedroom or what's allowed in the bedroom, what's not allowed in the bedroom, who's in the bedroom with you as far as like all of the noise from your culture and your family, talking about even just like what you want, what you're willing to do and what you won't do in the bedroom, like getting people empowered to have healthier, more aligned, you know, sexual experiences and lives, sexual orientation, gender identity there's just so so much there and I think the one it it goes very much into the other topic of dating and how there are so many rules around dating and so many mixed messages around dating so for example you will get messages as a woman from your family to wear certain name brands and put yourself together and act sexy but don't have sex until you're married so it's very like what like it's very contradictory it's very confusing and so kind of like helping people see what are some of these mixed messages and what do you actually want to choose it doesn't mean that you have to choose the Persian Jewish collectivistic way or the modern American individualistic way it's actually about not getting so caught up in that tug of war and kind of rising above that and really asking yourself what do I actually want as an individual outside of these competing cultures. So yeah, I am so enjoying that. We're actually going to do a whole series on that for, you know, sort of the fall season on bringing in different um, speakers and experts and having them sort of facilitate our intimate gatherings around all realms of sex and dating and intimacy or as many as we can cover in, in, you know, those three months. So I'm really excited about it. And what has been the response to those conversations that you're having about sexual identity and stigma? What have you heard from the community about this new space that you're bringing to talk about these things that were never talked about before? Yeah, I think the first reaction is just relief. So many people come up to us after an event and they just say, I'm so relieved and inspired and I feel so light to be able to call out some of the things that I've been feeling in this community and to see that other people are feeling the same and there are 
also people who are challenging it and doing their own thing and that, that I can be inspired by that and that can act as a model for me to be able to step out of the areas of my life where I feel held back or I feel like I don't have permission to do certain things. So that's kind of the first level of what people feel. I think the second level is that as a result of some of these events and people who are meeting at these events, they are having off the bat very vulnerable, very courageous, very deep, very meaningful conversations, which sets the tone for their relationship. So I think sometimes in our community, one of the things that you hear as a complaint is that our conversations are superficial, they're surface leveled, they're very much about plastic surgery or name brands, or nobody's really talking about if they're dating anybody that's kind of kept secret until they're engaged, there's no mm. intimacy, there's no depth. And by sort of meeting people in this context and being thrown into a situation that forces you to kind of open up and be vulnerable, the level of sort of business relationships, friendships, and romantic relationships that come out of these events is just mind-blowing. I think some of my best friends today I've met through my events and through this organization. I know that there are so many people who were going through a transitional time in their life and they didn't know what they wanted to do next with their life purpose or their business and then they meet somebody at one of these events who inspires them to completely redo everything and helps them and supports them along the way. So for example, I had someone who was thinking about at an event becoming an interior designer and someone who was just feeling like he was hitting an upper limit as a dentist. So the two of them came together and the interior designer designed a bunch of practices for the dentist to be able to have his own businesses and kind of hit a new level of what it was that he was trying to create so it was a beautiful sort of exchange that's amazing that some genuine connections are coming out of it when you said that people were having relationships I was thinking oh are couples coming to this event but these are people who didn't know each other and just because they wouldn't have had the opportunity to have a deep connection or conversation they're able to build a business or a friendship from that that's amazing yeah I think one of our most popular sort of series or programs that we have at Chaya is called Dinner with Strangers. So we select, you know, five guys and five girls who apply to one of our events and we put them together in a room and usually they don't really know each other and sometimes they do, but the undertone and the message that we're giving is, yes, we are very much for even the ones who know each other, who've seen each other around, we see each other at Shabbats, we see each other at weddings, we see each other at baby showers, we see each other at all these things. But how well are we really connecting? How much do we really know each other? We are such strangers to each other. So let's kind of get to know each other in a new and different and deeper way. So we hand select a topic in advance every time. We don't let anybody know what the topic is until they kind of arrive. And then one, myself usually, or somebody um, on our team is facilitating the conversation from the second they walk in to the second they leave. It's filled with questions and activities and just really juicy one-on-one conversations, sort of like splitting people off into group conversations and then sort of certain conversations that are just all 10 of us kind of talking together. So it's, it's really special. I really love it. Yeah, that sounds so lovely. What's something you wished more people knew about your community? Hmm. I think 
One of the stereotypes about our community is that we are takers and we are entitled and we are obnoxious and loud and yeah, sometimes we're a little loud <laughs> and <laughs> we like to celebrate and we like to speak with a lot of passion. But I think something that people don't know about us is that we're also very giving and we're very kind and we're very philanthropic and we want to, we may kind of push people away or act clicky, but there's a part of us very much that just wants to be accepted and wants to be loved. Hmm. So what is inspiring to you right now? What's making you excited? So one thing that I'm really excited about is beginning to challenge this concept of tarof in our community. And tarof is a word that we use. It's a Farsi word that is very much about not accepting something that you really want out of fear of coming off as a burden. And so a lot of times what you see in our community is that when somebody wants something, they'll say, no, 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 I'm good. I don't need it. I don't want it. Just so that because they feel like they are making the other person uncomfortable or they're asking too much. So this can look like you go to someone's house, they offer you tea, and you say no, even though you really want the, you want a glass of tea. Or this could look like you go out to dinner with your friends, and you're all fighting over who's going to cover the entire bill or the entire check, even though you may not necessarily want to cover the entire check. You just want to pay for your part. And I think it's a beautiful thing. I think it comes from a very generous place and a, a very hospitable place sometimes. But it's created this level of, I think it just sort of perpetuates this abandonment of the self and not honoring what it is that people truly want. And it creates a lot of stories in people's heads about them feeling like they don't deserve it or they're not good enough or they are a burden. And so what Chaya really wants to do is begin to challenge that. And so what we're going to be doing is actually sending out a survey to our list of how Chaya can support different members of our community. So whether that is that they are looking to meet their person or they are looking to spread word about a new project or passion that they've just started and they need support with marketing or that they want to make friendships or that they want to just do more self-development and educate themselves. So what we're going to do is get a sense of what each person's looking for and then kind of meet them on those needs, whether it's highlighting them on our podcast or setting up sort of an internal matchmaking system based on previous people who have come to dinner with strangers or connecting them to people who share similar values as them so that they can create their own subgroup of meaningful conversations and gatherings in their life. So I'm really, really excited about getting people to get comfortable with starting to ask for what it is that they want and to make these asks at our events as well so that they can start stepping more into receiving and recognizing how worthy they are and just giving them the freedom to be more aligned with what it is they truly want 
So yeah, I'm very excited about that next. And I still love our intimate gatherings and I still love the Chaya podcast. It's been really, really fun to grow these projects and I'm excited to do that as well. But this is sort of the new thing that we're getting ready to launch and I'm really looking forward to it. That's so great. Is there anything I haven't asked about yet that you'd like to share? I I think I just want to leave with like a, a blessing for our community and just for the Jewish people as together that we can find circles and relationships where we feel like we truly belong and not just fit in and that we may have the courage and the compassion and the vulnerability and growth mindset to be able to fully express our highest and most passionate versions of ourselves. Amen. Thank you for having me and thank you for um, bringing me on this podcast. This was really fun. Yeah, thank you so much. Where can folks learn more about your work if they're interested? Yeah, you are welcome to email us at chayacommunity26 at gmail.com. So it's C-H-A-Y-A community 26 at gmail.com. And would love to chat with you more there. Yeah, thank you. Great. Thank you so much, Nicole. This was lovely. Thanks so much for listening all the way to the end. I'd love to hear what came up for you from this episode. So please say hi on Twitter or Instagram at Clarissa R. Marks. The best way to support the show is by sharing it with a friend or adding a rating or review in Apple Podcasts. This episode was produced by me with intro music from Gilly Cuddy and outgoing music from Sound the Encounter. Make sure you're subscribed to hear all of the latest episodes. And to learn more about the people or media we mentioned, you can check out the show notes or visit our website at omwandering.co. Stay safe and well, and see you next time.